Hey everyone, it's Luis de Leon. I know this isn't usually how we start out our episodes, but we wanted to let you know that we put this episode together all separately in an effort to follow along with social distancing. We also just wanted to let you know that we're still here and we'll be doing our best to give you guys content. In a second, you'll hear from Michelle Sanchez who interviewed Bethany Kurtmus over the phone. She's been on the podcast before, but we wanted to get this out there and let you all know that we'll all get through this together. Enjoy. On the phone with me right now is Bethany. Bethany uh, just landed Saturday from Spain. She was over there playing soccer. Bethany has been on the podcast before, but I really wanted to reach out to her um, because of what's going on with the coronavirus. Bethany, I know we were talking for about a week or so and trying to get you on the podcast, but you were also very worried about coming back home to the States. So can you kind of tell me and tell our um, audience what you were doing in Spain? Yeah, of course, Michelle. Um, I was out in Spain playing uh, soccer or football, as they call it pretty much everywhere else in the world, including Spain. And I had a chance to play in the uh, Primera Nacional division, which is the third highest category of women's soccer in Spain. And I was out in Valencia playing on a, uh, with a team there. And you moved in December, is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, right after the holidays. So I, I flew out a couple of days after New Year's and had been there just about two and a half months. And um, it was for the second half of the season. So uh, the original plan was to be there through uh, just the first half of May. First half of May, and then things started to escalate as the coronavirus started spreading, spreading more and more. So can you kind of explain to me how it was as a player going through all of that? And I know you did other things besides playing soccer, too. So can you kind of tell me, like, the culture behind that, how things started changing for you? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, uh, so what, today is March 22nd? I want to say Sunday the 22nd. And the last two weeks have escalated at an incredibly rapid pace, not just in Spain, but around the world. So two weeks ago, um, we had, uh, I guess I want to say it was three weeks ago, we had our last game. And it was pretty normal. I think around that time, Italy was starting to get some cases. Uh, there was a big match between Valencia and a team in Italy for the uh, Champions League. And that was actually some of the first cases in Spain ended up being uh, a journalist and some fans that went to that game from Valencia to Italy and came back. So that was about three weeks ago. The following weekend, we had an off weekend. Uh, we actually did, it was like a team get-together we were aware of it. There still weren't really many cases in Spain at all, just a handful. But we were more weary, so when we went to take the train, we're, like, staying away from people. You kind of already had this social distancing idea, uh, and it was in people's minds. Then uh, practice, as usual, Monday, and then things started escalating. So then there's word that La Liga games were being... Um, suspended for a couple weeks or at first they said hey we're just going to play behind closed doors 
Uh, I don't even think they got to do a game like that because they ended up within a couple of days just saying, no, we're just suspending them for a couple of weeks. So we had, you know, practice Monday, Wednesday, and I mean, no one knew it would turn that quickly, but I didn't see anybody after Wednesday. And Thursday, they were talking about the, the quarantine for Spain, and by Friday, it was in place, and and that was it. So there were no more Spanish classes for me to go to. They eventually got moved online. But it was just a transformation because then at that point, my partner and I had talked about coming back to the U.S. And in Texas, I think at the time there was only one case and it was someone in San Antonio, maybe from the cruise, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, that was released. So I'm like, I, I feel kind of weird leaving a country with now like a thousand cases and coming to Austin, which has already been proactive, canceling the South by Southwest. Like, I don't want to be the person that, that brings it. Well, what happened over the next week was just incredible. You know, Spain having 10,000 cases, the U.S. getting uh, multiple thousands of cases, which now is over 30,000 itself. And it's, we went from a week ago being like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be the one that brings it to Texas to a week later being like, oh, my gosh, am I ever going to be able to leave Spain again if I don't get out? So it's just a, it was a certain fear or panic of, hey, uh, it's possible they could entirely shut the borders, not just to, to foreign travelers, but even to permanent residents or U.S. citizens and uh, you know, we don't want to get stuck in that. So I uh, flew back and now just doing a, a two-week quarantine at an Airbnb because my partner works with elderly people. So I can't, I can't do my quarantine at home and, and put her at risk of possibly being asymptomatic and, and infecting other people. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely something, um, you know, that you took took it a step further to stay away from you know your loved ones which you know which is great um, because you don't want to be that person as of today we have 334 confirmed cases here in Texas unfortunately six people have died from it so yes um, you know we're being proactive in this state but you know it's scary and like you said whenever South by got canceled. It was crazy um, on my end in the newsroom. And then I thought about you. I was like, so what does this mean for Bethany? And I was like, okay, I need to contact her and see how she's doing, see if she's okay. You know, what's going on, you know, over there? How does how does it feel? So was there like a lot of panic when before you left on Friday? Um, uh, I, I don't know if there was as much panic a couple of days ago as much as just quarantine was the new norm mm-hmm. you know it, it was I felt strange although I was living in Spain I'm still an American citizen and and all, many many people in my life live in the U.S. and Spain is about a week um, a week maybe 10 days behind Italy so Italy went on lockdown about a week before us and then we did, and there were already cases popping up in the U.S. and in different places. So me being the outsider in Spain of looking at people in the U.S., 
that are all over the place and going out and spring breaking it. And I, and I tried to post stuff on social media to be like, Hey, I know the president hasn't ordered this, but you just take personal responsibility. And the only way that we can get through this is together to just be smart, social distance, stay at home, stay at home whenever possible. Because I'd already been sitting in quarantine for a week. Like, I already know what's going to happen in the story. Just just get to it before you get 20,000 people infected and then quarantine. Because by that point, it's, it's kind of far too late. So I wouldn't say there was as much panic, at least in Valencia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madrid was is the hardest hit city for sure with about a third of all the cases in Spain. So fortunately... Um, I hadn't been in Madrid for about six weeks, which is uh, just prior to the, to the first couple of cases there by a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm sure there was more panic there uh, than in Valencia, but I didn't see as much because we just were all inside. Yeah. Uh, but slowly everyone started going home. I went with a guy from Norway that went home, a guy from the Netherlands, uh, a girl from China. Which was funny because she she was leaving and she was like, yeah, actually my family thinks it's safer to go back to China than to be here. And it seemed counterintuitive, but they were already on the tail end of it, right? Like, they got a lockdown. They might have new cases every day, but it's only a couple dozen. It's not thousands. Right. And before leaving, what was that conversation like with your team um, before canceling what you would say about two weeks ago, like your last training session? Uh, well, yeah. So uh, uh, the last training session, we didn't we didn't know it was the end. So we knew there was a two week lockdown. It was still early enough in the stages of how many cases where realistically you think, hey, there's a chance if we just lock it down this can be controlled and in two, three, four weeks, we can get back to life as usual. Practices and games will pick back back up in a month. And yeah, maybe we'll have to extend our season by two weeks or so to make up games, but overall doable. And that was kind of what everyone thought was happening. So we knew at least for a full week, there wasn't anything our coaches put together some trainings for, for workouts for us to do at home. So we were doing that. And then, like I said, it just, I mean, then you started getting multiple countries in Europe with thousands of cases a day. Then the U.S. starting to get figures like that. And it's like, wow, it's, it's time to, to just get home and, and hunker down. But it was really hard to say goodbye to everyone. And um, I didn't, uh, actually say anything until I think until I arrived in, in the Netherlands for my first flight because I didn't want to say <laughs> something and then end up getting stranded in Spain anyway. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I need to make sure because when I was at the airport, the board of flights, and no exaggeration here, but there's five screens of flights and I want to say only three flights were not canceled on all five of the monitors. It just was unreal to be to see things like that. Um, but it was really hard. I mean, the, the, the girls and coaches, it was like my family over here, and we just, you know, didn't get to share 
the whole season together, which there's potential. Maybe I could go back in May. We never know what would happen and, and when things will clear up. At this point, it seems unlikely things would clear up that fast, but um, you know, I want to be hopeful about it too. And China turned everything around, I think, in six to eight weeks total from their plateau to really getting things down. So who knows what could happen. Yeah, it's interesting what's going on in China because I, this was during the holidays and I clearly remembered putting it on the newscast. I usually like to put some things that people aren't really paying attention to, right, in our newscasts. And I just remembered this virus had, I don't know, like 20 people infected and they were under quarantine mm. in Wuhan, China. And they were calling this yeah. the mysterious virus. And, you know, that was back in November and we're already in, you know, March 22nd, almost April and things are barely getting, you know, I, I don't even know if better is a word because there it's not getting better, but there's it's just not getting worse in China, at least, you know, from what we know and from what we see. Mm-hmm. Right. What was the response whenever all these tournaments were being canceled, like La Liga and even, you know, I guess you're or postponed I guess your your the rest of your season is probably canceled as well maybe you know or postponed till later so what was that reaction kind of seeing these um cancellations from you know the sports world and you know like did you see the change in culture a little bit or what was the response I'm super curious Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly mixed responses. One throughout all of Europe, including, you know, my roommates that I lived with, they're like, hey, you know, quarantine is is fine to be at home, but, like, when I'm at home on the weekends, I just watch football all day long. Well, now there's not even any games to watch, which I think at first, seeing Italy's games um, get postponed, uh made sense because we saw how big of an issue uh, the virus was there and then you see La Liga and you say okay this makes sense but then when you start to see the other leagues proactively doing it like the English Premier League and then the MLS and the NBA then it just starts to be like wow this is surreal which granted I've only you know been around for a couple decades but nothing like this has ever happened. Maybe you've seen one sport say, hey, we've got to put things on hold, but to be across the world, across the, the globe is really surprising. At first, we didn't think that we would get impacted quite as much because, you know, we don't have 50,000 people coming to our games in the third division. So it's not like we have these mass gatherings. So to us, we're thinking, yeah, probably those games are going to be on hold longer than our league, which the the season hasn't been officially canceled yet for us. At this point, it's still just been um, suspended. I think in Spain, the quarantine was extended to April 15th. But there's discussions of, you know, adding a few weeks to this schedule to make sure we can get all the games in. And it's a big deal over there because they have this system of promotion and relegation. So the teams at the top of the table move up to the next highest division. The teams at the bottom move down and not getting to play the rest of their season. 
and just ending with whatever spot you were before this, that's, um, that's, that's pretty serious, you know? Right. Yeah. It's super serious. And, you know, in, it's crazy but it was the right thing to do and you know we have we live in it's kind of we're being forced to stop right and so I'm really glad that you your flight wasn't one of those that were canceled um you know coming to the states can you tell me a little bit about that process um and then the screening that you had to go through was it in Atlanta Um, So the screening, there are 13 airports now uh, in the U.S. for um, international flights to come in. And these 13 airports are designated with these additional steps. Uh, Atlanta is one of them. My my, uh, layover was actually in Detroit. So that's where I did the process. Uh, (laughs) I had another flight option that it was at JFK. But I'm like, no, one, that airport is already pretty pretty crazy, I'm sure, let alone the fact that that's where a lot of cases are happening. Um, that process wasn't really as intense by the time I was going through, which, keep in mind, my flight was almost a week uh, to the date after the, um, the foreign travel ban went into place. So I did see articles about people waiting hours. I actually specifically chose a flight that had a six-hour layover between Detroit and Austin because I didn't know how many hours the the process would take. I'm like, better safe than sorry. And uh, But they gave us a sheet to fill out on the flight, which was basic information about us, where we're going to be going after, um, have we been in China, Iran, uh, the Shenzhen area, that's basically Europe, it's the Shenzhen area. Uh, have you been in any of those areas in the last two weeks? If so, where? Just that type of information. So they have this database. If someone does end up having a positive response, they can see like who was on that flight with them, who sat in the seats next to them. But it didn't add much time at all. We went through customs and then handed this sheet of paper. They took our temperature, uh, and that was... That was pretty much it. I'd say it only added maybe 20 minutes for me total in the process. Oh, wow. I was actually surprised that the flights, the international flights, didn't have the temperature check to do. I was actually expecting that. Like, my layover was in Netherlands, and I thought that they would be doing things like that for flights because you could just hold up this device to someone's forehead and get a temperature but they didn't so that was surprising but uh so no i think i mean it's smart they put a process into place because you want to do everything you can if if we can figure out where the cases are and and if new cases come up who who are the people most at risk well that data is going to be extremely helpful yeah and what was the your your family's response whenever you know they I know you were between Thursday or Friday of coming back home but what was their response and what was that communication like uh, just in case you didn't make it you know to Spain I mean to the U.S. from Spain yeah so I texted um, kind of different people throughout the last couple days just the status of where things were going and uh, I mean basically the general consensus wasn't 
as much a fear of not being able to get back, just as much of uh, like relief of me getting back, being back, um, being here with my partner Tess, and uh, just <laughs> seeing how long this goes together <laughs> throughout through the next couple months or however long do you have any advice or do you have any tips that you've um want you feel like sharing uh like you said uh y'all were kind of already in quarantine and a lot of us are barely trying to get used to this life um so any tips would be awesome if you have any and um you know or any any other things that you would love to voice no sure uh i mean there's a lot of things you can do so what what's cool about times like these is um, there's a tremendous amount of good in the world and um, I believe people inherently are good and you see examples like in Italy where people could go on their balconies and then they're singing songs together in Spain what we did is uh, at, or in Valencia I don't know about other cities but at 8 o'clock each night we would go on our balconies and everyone would start clapping and, and banging a cowbell, I heard. <laughs> uh, eventually, people put out some strobe lights, but it was, um, we all did it at the same time, and it was to honor all of the people that were out there helping us during those times, from the police officers to the healthcare workers and anyone else that was, you know, putting in the time to help everyone. It was cool to see people come together. Uh, being at home is, uh, it gives you a lot of time to think. So uh, our mind is a pretty powerful tool and that can, can be a good thing and can be a bad thing if we're using it the right way. I, um, I'm a very big believer in writing. So uh, journaling things, like if you have some intense feelings, uh, the best way to get rid of feelings is actually just to write them on paper it's a pretty powerful thing because what you write on paper you actually take out of your mind and it it's like a transfer of energy from your mind and your body to the paper and it doesn't even work for things like feelings but even if you just have time to self-reflect on hey you know what are you pursuing in life and what are maybe now is a good time to readjust some of your goals and think about hey when this clears up, what's the most important thing for me in, in my life and what do I really want to be doing? Uh, great time for reading, for sure. Uh, puzzling, I've seen as a new hobby. <laughs> but even though we're isolated in a home, it doesn't mean that we're isolated from other people, right? We still have all of our social media to connect from Instagram to Facebook uh, and phone calls too. We can call whoever we want. Uh, and or whatever text if that's your thing uh, I know that's more of a millennial thing to text but either way just staying connected is going to help us feel um, much stronger to it but definitely if you're in an area that hasn't been as affected um, as much to this point I would just advise you to not think that there's no possibility that that area will get impacted just be as as conservative as you can and and think about all these other cities in the u.s that are facing these challenges and know that hey no one has any idea what city is going to get hit next the hardest 
So just stay inside as much as you possibly can. If you have to go out to work, of course, you, you got to do what you got to do, getting groceries, understandable, the pharmacy, um, the group gatherings. I mean, personally, they say limit to 10 people, but at this point, why? Just look at some of these stories of, of people living, uh, their partners being a doctor, and they can't even live in the same part of the house anymore because there's fear of transferring within the household. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot going on. Um, but if you need support, it's out there. There's always people to reach out to and, and friends to reach out to. So don't feel alone in times of isolation and, um, and keep your mind strong. Bethany, thank you so much. And where can people find you um, or follow your journey as you still, you know, you're living your dream of playing in soccer? Um, so where, where can people find you? Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on social media. That's the best way. Um, so Bethany is B-E-T-H-A-N-Y, and my last name is Kurtness, C-Y-R-T-M-U-S. Uh, that's my name on Instagram, Bethany Rose 816 uh, Facebook is just my name, Bethany Kurtness. And then at Twitter, it's B, like Bethany, B Kurtness, the at B Kurtness. But either of those, um, is great, and I'm, I'm happy to help out in any way that I can. Bethany, thank you so much for your tips and your advice. And like she said, stay indoors, stay clean, love one another. Um, you know, it's impacted her in a way. Bethany played um, here at Austin Elite um, and then ended up going to Spain to play soccer over there. Um, so if you want to are interested in that podcast, that's one of our first, first episodes. And she was great to interview. And always you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Austin Soccer Pod. Um, and then I just wanted to bring her on here because I think, you know, she lives a unique um, life. And she was in Spain playing uh, soccer when everything started breaking out and things have gotten worse and worse. And we're just praying for everyone during this time. The coronavirus is not a joke. Um, so stay safe, friends. And thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. <laughs>